Thanks, Tyler. Thanks for uh, inviting me here. Thank you all for hosting me. You had no choice in the matter, but I'm glad glad that I could be here nonetheless. It's fun to get to come uh, and share with you guys. I've been here in the past. Usually once a year I pop in. I think I was here maybe in the springtime too, but um, it, it's exciting because I can walk to church. I was just telling uh, Stan and Lacey too. I was like, we're down here and down there. So I guess two blocks technically, Tyler. But um, but to just, you know, be walking through the streets with my Bible and my water in my hand is kind of fun and on my way to church. So it is a joy to get to be here um, this morning with you all. Beautiful, beautiful folks. Thanks for coming this morning. The, any number of things that you could have chosen to be part of on a Sunday morning, including sleep, <laughs> and you chose to be here, to be present here. And I believe, and I've been praying that God will bless this time that we get together this morning in God's Word. Uh, and I'm thrilled to get to share on this passage. I want you to think about this quote for just a minute. There's a quote that'll come up here. Listen to this quote. It says this, Before the words of prayer come to the lips, the mind must believe in God's willingness to draw near to us. Let me say that one more time. Before the words of prayer come to the lips, the mind must believe in God's willingness to draw near to us. So, our prayers, friends, are somehow tied to our faith. And we're going to think about that this morning. Maybe you buy that, maybe you don't. I hope by the end of our time together, you will buy that. The story is told of a young man. This isn't the person the picture that'll come up here. A story is told of a young tourist in Jerusalem who observes a Jewish man praying at the Wailing Wall. The man at the Wailing Wall rocks back and forth in his chair with his eyes closed, beating his chest. Occasionally he'd raise his hands up, but, but steadily, passionately, he prayed aloud. Some time passed before the man finally stood up to leave and the young tourist approached him. What do you pray for? Asked the tourist. Oh, I pray for righteousness. I pray for the health of my family. I pray for peace in the world, especially here in Jerusalem, responded the man. Are these prayers effective? The tourist asked. The man's eyes grew distant as he glanced back at the ancient monument. It's like talking to a wall. <laughs> Do you ever feel like that, though? Maybe? When you pray, do you ever feel like you're talking to a wall? I, I do sometimes, all honesty. I, I absolutely do. Pastor Andy feels sometimes like he's talking to a wall when he prays, especially, friends, during periods of pain, during periods of suffering and, and trial. My finances or my job are, are threatened. This summer, I, I lost a very good friend in a drowning accident. Something like depression sets in. Okay, these are seasons, no matter how, how fervently I pray, it still seems sometimes like no one's listening. Just silence. I came across 
this letter in a book by Philip Yancey that I was reading one time. Um, can I share this letter with you? It's a, it's a, it's a meaningful letter. I, th I think you'll catch on. The letter's titled, Still Waiting, and it was written by a woman that Yancey refers to as Joanne. She writes this. I could list probably a hundred prayers that haven't been answered. I'm not talking about selfish prayers, but important prayers. God, keep my kids safe. Keep them away from the wrong crowd. All three ended up in trouble with the law, abusing drugs and alcohol, she says. I guess maybe 20% of my prayers get anything like the answer I want. I review my journal and I see God doing less and less. I get mad. Like a child, I stop talking. I'm passive-aggressive with God. I put him off. Maybe later, God. I've got to say, Jesus' story of the persistent widow who keeps pestering the judge, it sours me. Thousands of people pray for a Christian leader who has cancer and he dies. What did Jesus mean by that parable? That, that we keep beating our heads against a wall? I give up. Joanne, if you are here today, may I implore you, don't give up. Don't give up. Please, keep praying. And don't give up, because our prayers are the grandest expression of our faith in Him who is on His way. I'll say that again. Keep praying and don't give up, because our prayers are the grandest expression of our faith in Him who is on His way. If you have your Bible with you. You're, you're welcome to turn to Luke chapter 18. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. I think the text will be up here when I'm reading through it. Just a little bit of context, though, as we get into chapter 18, backing up a little bit to chapter 17. Jesus, he's been talking about this day of the Son of Man, this second coming, Jesus' second coming. And he gives these two kind of examples. He says it's going to be like Noah in the sense that no one will believe it. And it's going to be like Lot in the sense that no one will see it coming. But for those who have faith, so faith the size of a mustard seed, that parable shows up back in chapter 17. Faith in Jesus Christ, it's going to be a remarkable day. This day of the Son of Man. It's going to do away with pain. It's going to do away with suffering. The trials, the tests, injustice, flatten it once and for all. It's going to be a great day. I'm looking forward to that day. You're looking forward to that day. But until then, we look around. Pain, suffering all around us. Okay, we don't have to look very far to see this stuff. Injustice, peril, fighting, it's all pandemic. All, it, from me to you to the ends of the world, it's all around us. So, chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And I'll read these first five verses to start with. He said... 
in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Now, parables can do some funny things, okay? And sometimes the tendency of ours is to begin to draw these parallel lines in the parable to the players in the parable um, and draw them to spiritual things. And oftentimes people may look at this and they'll say, oh, okay, so um, God is like the judge. And uh, if you follow that reasoning out, let's think that through. So Jesus says to pray and not give up. So like the widow, I'm going to keep at God, pestering him, as Joanne says, uh, banging my head against the wall of his throne room, okay, bending his ear until he finally gives in and he grants me my prayer. The problem with this, though, is that then prayer becomes this kind of transaction between me and God. If I do this, you'll do this. Okay? It's like this hungry kid with his mom at the grocery store or in the checkout aisle. All right? We get that picture. God, what about this? This, God, this. I want this. Can I have this? God, what about this? Can I do this? God, this. This right here. This, this. God, this, this, this. God. God says... Fine. Quit bothering me, okay? Here, take your health if that's what you want so badly. You make it such a, such a joy killer. It's going to surprise you, but fine. Here, right? Now go away. You bother me, kid. But that's not the picture of God the Father that we uncover in the pages of Scripture. Okay, God is not like an unjust judge, an unrighteous disrespecter of people. Quite the contrary. He is righteous. He is faithful. He is true. He's the highest respecter and advocate for his crowning creation, especially his chosen redeemed who cry out to him. Friend, hear this this morning that this story is less of a comparison between God and the unjust judge, and it's more of a contrast between them. Track with me through the passage. Verse 2, the judge, he didn't fear God, right? He didn't care about men, it says. Now remember that, because we'll see that again. Verse 3, the widow comes in. She's kept coming, and she's pleading, grant me justice against my adversary. I have prayed that. Perhaps you have prayed that. We have an adversary. Okay, God has an enemy, and he is at us. And we pray, grant me justice against my adversary. And then the judge, again, in verse 4, he comes up. He refuses justice to the widow for some time, days, maybe weeks, maybe months, maybe years. 
We're not told how long she's at it, but we feel it. The unjust judge, finally, he says he doesn't fear God, and he knows it. He says, I don't care about men, and I know it. Verse 5, the judge still, he's going to grant her justice now because two very good reasons, right? Number one, this widow keeps bothering me. I'm tired of it. He's annoyed by her persistence, her incessant pleading for justice. And his reason number two, he doesn't want her to wear him out. Eugene Peterson does a fantastic job with this verse in the Message Bible. He says it like this, I'll grant her justice, otherwise I'm going to end up beaten black and blue by her pounding. <laughs> you can picture this woman pounding against the chest of this judge. Give me justice. Fine. It's starting to hurt. <laughs> Do these reasons strike anyone else as arrogant and selfish? Self-centered on the part of the judge? It doesn't sound like a comparison to God at all, does it? God is not like the unjust judge. Look at verse 6 then. And I'll read it. Jesus says, listen to what the unjust judge says. Again, Eugene Peterson, he's, he phrases this wonderfully. He says, um, Jesus says, do you hear what that judge, as corrupt as he is, is saying? Okay, so, so Jesus himself is saying, this is, he is not like my father. Can you believe it, man? He's talking to his disciples, okay? That's, this is, this is the place that we live in. This, this is more like humankind, okay? Not like my God. Verse 7 and 8, I'll read them. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful the way Jesus brings us back? He calls us his chosen ones. Friend, there's a whole lot of theology that's packed into that phrase, but very simply put, God loves you. God loves you. Christian, you are his chosen one. He loves you so much that first he sent his son to live a perfect life, die a perfect death, and be raised from the dead to redeem our lives from sin. Christian, he loves you so much that he is second sending his son, Jesus, back again to rescue us and do away with the pain and the suffering and the injustice and the sin, and you name it, what else? Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out day and night? Rhetorical question. Of course he will. Will he keep putting them off? Of course he won't. We get how rhetorical questions work. We know the answers to these. Jesus knows the answers to these questions. His disciples 
know the answers to these questions. We at a deep place know the answers to these questions. He will be there quickly. Now let me clarify something about this word quickly. This is not quickly like in the snap of a finger. Like you rub the bottle and the genie pops out and it's just like it's quickly going to happen. That's not the idea of the word quickly here. Rather, this idea of the word quickly is more spatial than it is time. Okay, so it's more so this idea um, that something is imminent. It's close enough to begin to sense. He is on his way. Quickly. And Jesus has, what Jesus has done in essence is he set up the world scene as one of selfishness and injustice and he's made the commanding declaration that God is nothing like that. He is not holding out on us. He is on his way. We're his chosen ones, and he loves us deeply and intimately. Listen, if we, friend, this morning, if we can get this idea dialed in that God is not like the unjust judge, but that he cares deeply for us, he not only knows our pain, but he feels our pain. He knows everything there is to know about injustice. <laughs> and if we can wrap our minds around that, this, this beautiful relational aspect of prayer begins to emerge. It is this, this point, that prayer becomes less about a transaction. Okay? Prayer becomes less about a transaction and more about a relationship. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, we don't have to feel like we're banging our heads against a wall trying to get God's attention. We're not cowering before the throne of an unjust judge who doesn't really want us to be there in the first place. Nor are we pestering him, beating him black and blue with our incessant petitions. I came across this quote when I was studying on this. It goes like this. I'll say it twice because it's not. I don't think it's going to be up here. It goes, um, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his highest willingness. I'm going to say that again. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of his highest willingness. So in other words, when I, when I come to the Lord in prayer, I'm not coming striving to get what God doesn't want me to have. <laughs> Rather, it's an opportunity for me to take hold of what God most deeply desires for me and for you. When we come to God in prayer, we can come in confidence that He has been paying attention he knows your pain. He knows my suffering. He knows the injustice that bears down on us. He's listening very carefully to the cries of our hearts. He's not putting us off. He's on his way. 
but Pastor Andy, why would he wait so long? Why would he wait so long? Days, months, years for some of us. Why would he wait so long? Waiting, friend, waiting is, is proving and it's purifying something in us. It's what he'll be looking for when he comes. Did you catch it? The very end of verse 8. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Our waiting is proving our faith. Our waiting is proving our faith. All of a sudden, we begin to realize this grand point that this story is less about prayer and it's more about faith. It's less about prayer and it's more about faith. Or perhaps a better way of saying it, it's a story that's less about persistent prayer and more about persistence. Will he find faith this widow, this widow has faith, right, before the judge. I believe you can do this, judge. She makes her plea, no. Please, please, no. Please, you gotta, please, you, you gotta hear me. No. Again, and again, and again. I know you can do this. Will he find that kind of of deep abiding belief that unwillingness to give up on crying out day and night to the God who calls us his chosen ones an unwillingness to back down until we have laid a hold of all that God most fully desires for us will he find that face pain, when we face suffering, when we face injustice, and it feels like no one is listening to your prayers or my prayers when you have cried out for days and weeks, even months for some financial relief or emotional healing or the life of a loved one. And an answer just seems as distant as God himself. Friend, don't give up. You keep on praying and don't give up. Because our prayers are the grandest expression of our faith in him who is on his way. Just the fact that you'd bend your knee in prayer to God again and again and again. There is in that humble posture the demonstration of a faith in him that he exists, <laughs> that he can hear you, and that he'll answer you just by bending your knee to him in prayer. In fact, I now wonder sometimes if in those moments of suffering, those periods of pain, those periods of injustice, wherein we're crying out to him, 
day and night for relief. I wonder sometimes now if in those moments he's more concerned about my faith than he is about the prayers that I'm actually praying. What actually comes out of my mouth. I wonder if he's honored less by my ineloquent pleas. I don't even know how to phrase things half the time. My childlike weeping, etc., and more honored by the simple fact that I would come to him first for rescue. Man, I wish I had more time with you guys all. This is I mean, there's so much to this. I'm learning so much friend about this 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 curious discipline of of prayer and and um, 14 and a half years ago I first preached on this passage and in that season um, it was a hard season for me and I and if I, if I had the time I would tell you the length of it but it was a season that I could not make heads or tails of and it was a season that prayer began to open up for me. And I have, and, and, and I'm still on this journey. I'm still discovering. I'm, I'm not done yet growing and learning and understanding more and more about this remarkable discipline, this remarkable opportunity to pray together. I'm just scratching the surface. Um, two things maybe I would leave with. One of them is this. Men, raise your hand if you're a man here. Okay? Men on Thursday mornings at 6 o'clock. It's early, but I bet a lot of you are up at that time. 6 o'clock on Thursday mornings at the Community Assistance Program Center up on G Street, Justin Farmer hosts a prayer time. It's one hour, 6 to 7. Okay? I would encourage you guys to pop into that. That would bless him, but it would also just honor God in that time. Okay, there's that. And I think the second thing that I would leave you with is what you've already heard from me this morning, and that is to keep on praying and don't give up because your prayers are the grandest expression of your faith in him who is on his way. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, there is in this room all manner of need. I bet. Father, it's a guess, but it's an educated guess. I bet that in a, in, a, in a group this size, there are people who are financially at rock bottom. I bet there are people here, Father in heaven, who are emotionally at their wit's end. I bet there are people here with us, Father, this morning, who health-wise, they are wondering what tomorrow is even going to look like. Am I going to make it to work? Am I going to be able to see uh, see a family member? Father, there are all manner of needs in this place this morning, Father in heaven. 
and we come to you right now as a good father who deeply loves us, who deeply cares about us, who's paying the, the, the closest attention imaginable to the lives that we're living. We come to you as a father who, who, who loves us unimaginably and who's shown that through the Lord Jesus Christ. We come to you as the father who is ready, Father in heaven, to respond. And Father, I pray right now, just as kind of a, this is kind of a, an umbrella prayer maybe over the needs. Friends, you all, you know your needs. And so you can whisper those needs to the Lord right now. But I pray over these needs. Father, that you, you would meet these needs. In your time, in days, weeks, months, years, whatever that may be, Father in heaven. But in that meantime, as you're preparing to meet our needs, would you assure us, each and every one of us, would you assure us that you are on your way. And I pray this in full accordance with the fullness of who Jesus has revealed himself to be. Amen.